welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. last podcast episode, we reviewed the anatomy and physiology of an infant's skin. I also pointed out why infants who are being cared for in the NICU, especially those that were born premature, are at an increased risk for developing compromised skin integrity. If you have not already, I encourage you to listen to episode 34, Why Are Term and Preterm Infants at an Increased Risk for Skin Injury? by heading to EmpoweringNICUParents.com forward slash episode 34. Today, we are going to follow up that episode with some recommendations for clinical practice. It's important to not just have the knowledge of the variations, but we need to know how to apply those clinically. Many of the topics we cover today have been standards of care for years, But there are also new recommendations for practice and products available based on up-to-date research findings. NICU clinicians will hear a great review, as well as up-to-date clinical recommendations for skin care of our specialized population in the NICU. The episode will also be beneficial for parents to hear the clinical practice guidelines for term and preterm infants as well as some of the variations that may exist between different institutions. So sit back and listen, or grab your notepad and get ready to learn about skincare recommendations in the NICU. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. As you'll hear in this episode, neonates, especially preterm infants, are vulnerable to skin injuries. It is essential that products that are used on their fragile skin promote skin integrity. Keeping this in mind, Neotech has developed a series of NICU products designed to be gentle on fragile skin. Neotech's Neobond is a skin-friendly hydrocolloid. It is a protective adhesive that sustains long-term attachment while also considering the risk of damage to fragile skin. The Neobond hydrocolloid is featured on the Easy Hold nasal cannula holders, the Neo Bridge that secures umbilical catheters, the Neo Lead ECG electrodes, and more. When applied and removed properly, the Neobond hydrocolloid is a long lasting neonatal adhesive that minimizes skin damage, minimizing the need for traditional tape, which can be more damaging. 
Plus, the long-lasting nature of the hydrocolloid means you do not have to change it or remove it as often. The NICU, where my son William was cared for and where I practiced as an NNP, used many of Neotech's Neobond hydrocolloid products. As you will learn in this episode, extremely premature infants, like William was, are much more prone to significant skin breakdown. And although William did have some areas of pretty severe breakdown, he never experienced any irritation or skin injuries where his Neotech ECG leads were or on his sweet face where the easy hold held his cannula in place for several months. Neotech also offers Neofoam patented products designed to not only be gentle on an infant's skin, but they also reduce skin breakdown and or irritation. Neofoam is lightweight, flexible, and form-fitting, and it is featured in several products, including the Easy Care Soft Touch Trach Ties, the Neotech Chin Strap for respiratory support, and Neoshades, the phototherapy eye shields. Skin-friendly Neofoam was developed and is manufactured in the United States, and its durable, breathable material wicks perspiration. Neofoam is so unique, you have to feel it to believe it. Visit neotechneoshades.com to request your free sample or find the link in our show notes. NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama Hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored and adorable. We offer two different color options and a simple leather patch that says NICU Mama. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU Mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States, plus a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash hats. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. As I reviewed on our last episode, our skin is an important protective barrier for us, especially with infants. Maintaining skin integrity is very crucial because it is the most effective barrier against pathogens and infection insensible water losses, protein loss, and it helps maintain euthermia. Proper skin care is a critical component of care that can directly reduce complications of prematurity and the associated intensive neonatal care that goes hand-in-hand with it. Care must be given when using adhesives, disinfectants, products, and emollients on the skin of infants, especially those being treated in the NICU. There is an evidence-based neonatal skincare guideline that was created through a collaboration between the National Association of Neonatal Nurses, or NAN, and 
the Association of Women's Health, Obstetric, and Neonatal Nurses, or AWAN. The clinical practice recommendations help to guide clinicians who care for newborns from birth to 28 days of age. It is important to start by evaluating the infant's skin. There are some widely used tools, one being the Neonatal Skin Condition Score that was developed and validated as part of the A1-NAN skin care guideline. It is also important to know and identify the risk factors that place certain infants at risk for skin trauma. As we have spoken about, and you'll continue to hear, premature infants, due to their need for intensive care and the variations in their anatomy and physiology of their skin, are at an increased risk for compromised skin integrity. Infants who receive specialized care in the NICU are at an increased risk due to the use of necessary monitoring equipment, adhesives used to secure lines or respiratory equipment, immobility due to either ECMO or high-frequency ventilation, particular medications, edema, and any devices with the potential for thermal injury. So let's get right into some of the recommendations for care for infants, especially those treated in the NICU. Most of the guidelines, especially for premature infants, are consistent when it comes to bathing infants. Early bathing may result in forceful removal of the vernix, hypothermia, and it can lead to unstable vital signs. The A1-NAN guidelines recommend that the initial bath in an infant with stable vital signs should be delayed until two to four hours after birth. Now, the guidelines created by the World Health Organization recommend that the first bath be delayed until six hours of age, but the preferred time frame for the initial bath is six to 24 hours of age. Although it must be stated that neonates born to HIV-positive mothers or if the mother's history is unknown, should have their initial bath as soon as possible after birth. A1 also recommends that only sterile water be used to bathe infants less than 32 weeks gestation. It is recommended to avoid detergents in all newborns until at least two weeks of age. In preterm infants greater than 32 weeks gestation, it is recommended to alternate the use of soap and water. For any soap that is used, it is recommended to use neutral pH soaps that are preservative-free and to avoid the use of dyes and perfumes. Warm water baths should only be given as needed in the first two weeks of life, with the goal, especially in the tiny babies, of less than five minutes, and they should be done in a draft-free area. Swaddle baths are also recommended, especially in premature infants, to minimize both behavioral and physiologic stress. Daily bathing is not recommended, and generally bathing an infant two to three times a week is sufficient. The waterproof features of Vernix have been proven, and it especially protects the skin from drying out. Although it is not recommended practice to not remove the Vernix, it is recommended to leave it intact as much as possible and to not remove it aggressively during the initial bath. Now, if you've ever had an IV on your arm or even tape from a lab draw, you know the damage that tape can cause on anyone's skin. But special consideration must be given to infants, especially preterm infants, when it comes to the use of tape. The best rule of thumb, minimal use of tape is essential. 
Infants have very fragile skin, especially premature infants. As I mentioned, due to the variations in the anatomy and structure of their dermis and epidermis, they are more prone to skin tears or epidermal stripping. If tape must be used, silk or paper tape is recommended. Non-adhesive products should be used when able in conjunction with transparent dressings when visibility is essential, like for IV catheters and double back tape also prevents epidermal stripping. Alternatives to tape must be considered, especially in the NICU. Hydrogel and hydrocolloid adhesive products are great alternatives that can be removed easily with water. There are some companies that place the importance of skin integrity of NICU infants at the forefront when developing their products. Just as you heard at the front of the episode, our sponsor for this episode, Neotech, has developed a series of NICU products made with hydrocolloid that are designed to be gentle on an infant's fragile skin, including ECG leads, temperature probe stickers, nasal cannula holders, umbilical line holders, plus more. Hydrocolloid, when applied properly, is a long-lasting adhesive that minimizes skin damage. With its long-lasting nature, it also prevents skin breakdown because it does not have to be changed as frequently. For hydrocolloid products to work effectively, the skin needs to be clean and dry, and the product should be warmed before it is applied as heat is the catalyst for the long-lasting effect. Hydrocolloid products also have protective qualities, including its ability to prevent microorganisms, stop water losses, and assist with healing. Pectin barriers or duoderm which are hydrocolloid products, should be used on the skin as a barrier under adhesive dressings that help secure monitoring or medical devices. To prevent traumatic removal of adhesives for securement of NG or OG tubes, nasal cannulas, umbilical lines, or an endotracheal tube, the hydrocolloid dressing protects the skin from frequent removal of the adhesive. So if the tape or adhesive on top has to be changed, there is a barrier or a quote-unquote landing pad over the skin to protect from epidermal stripping. At any point that an adhesive needs to be removed, it should be done carefully and slowly with warm water to prevent epidermal stripping. Adhesive removers should not be used in term and preterm infants due to the risk of toxicity. In regards to umbilical cord care, It is recommended to not treat the cord with anything. Diapers should be lowered and kept below the level of the cord. If the area becomes soiled with urine or stool, it should be wiped gently with water. Routine application of alcohol is not recommended and may actually delay cord separation. Use of antibiotic ointments and or creams is also not recommended. The cord should always be assessed closely to monitor for any swelling or redness at the base of the cord. Now, the use of humidity in incubators helps to maintain skin integrity while the infant's skin is maturing. Humidification helps to decrease transepidermal water loss, maintain skin integrity, decrease fluid requirements, and minimize electrolyte imbalances. As you may recall from our last episode, The maturation of an infant's skin is not fully complete until two to four weeks after birth once they have been exposed to the extrauterine environment. 
There are not necessarily uniform protocols for humidity use in incubators for extremely premature infants in the NICU, and each institution will have their own protocols. Therefore, the guidelines will vary in the duration of use, the weaning process, and for which gestational age the parameters are applied. It should be considered for infants less than 32 weeks gestation or for infants that weigh less than 1,200 grams. Many units start with humidity at 60 to 80 percent, usually using 80 percent for infants less than 28 weeks gestation. At an 80 percent humidity level, evaporation at the skin surface effectively ceases. The percentage of humidity used is usually maintained for the initial week followed by set weaning parameters. Weaning the percentage of humidity should be gradual over a few days. Weaning can be done by decreasing the percentage by 5 to 10% per day until 30 to 40% is reached. The infant's temperature should be monitored closely during the weaning process, and the isolate temperatures may need to be adjusted to ensure normal thermia. Some units maintain the humidity percentage around 70 to 80% for infants born extremely premature for longer periods of time before they begin to wean. This practice is more common for infants born less than 26 weeks who may require higher humidity to counteract the insensible water losses and elevated sodium levels. But we must remember that prolonged humidity does delay maturation of the skin. So it is a situation where the clinicians must evaluate the benefits compared to the risk. Although the weaning parameters may vary, the humidity should be weaned once the infant's skin is more mature or once the clinician notes that the infant's skin appears dry, thickened, and no longer shiny or translucent. This usually occurs around 10 to 14 days. It's actually kind of funny because when I read this as I was reviewing literature, there was a certain picture of my son William that I recall where his skin appeared very dry and scaly. So I actually went back and looked and sure enough, it was on his 15th day of life. Now, as you may recall, last time I mentioned that infants have a much larger surface area in relation to body mass, which places them at an increased risk for heat loss. To prevent this, consideration must be paid to resuscitate infants under a pre-warmed radiant warmer or to place them skin-to-skin with their mother immediately post-delivery if they are stable. It is recommended to place preterm infants or transition them into a heated and humidified incubator as soon as possible. Also, extremely premature infants or those less than 32 weeks gestation should be placed in a polyethylene wrap during resuscitation measures to prevent transepidermal water losses and heat loss. Additionally, it's good to remember any site on the infant's body that previously had an adhesive attached to it, then subsequently removed, is an area more prone to transepidermal water loss. So it reiterates the importance of minimal adhesive use as well as careful removal of each adhesive. For infants in the NICU, especially those born prematurely, we as providers need to compensate for the fluid redistribution and transepidermal water loss that occurs over the initial extrauterine days. In addition to humidity provided, IV fluids are administered and may need to be modified based on the infant's gestational age, 
electrolyte levels, weight loss, and external factors including things like phototherapy lights. The use of emollients or topical ointments in NICUs also varies. Emollients like aquaphor and petroleum decrease transepidermal losses of water and some believe they protect against microbes. They also improve the condition of the skin and help with dryness. They help to stabilize surface temperature without changing the skin flora and they protect against skin trauma. But studies have shown that daily application of topical ointments increases the risk for hospital-acquired infections. Therefore, it is not recommended to use prophylactic application of topical ointments. The consistent recommendation for emollients is to use them exclusively in cases of severe skin dryness, cracking of the skin, and or fissures. If used, there should be patient-specific containers or single-use containers to minimize the risk of contamination. Again, if any of these products are used, they should be free of perfumes, dyes, or preservatives. Studies have also shown that routine use of mustard oil and olive oil can adversely alter the skin integrity, so they should not be used as well. But the use of vegetable oils rich in linoleic acid, like in sunflower oil and coconut oil, have been shown to improve the barrier function and hydration. As I spoke about on our last episode, it is necessary to cleanse the skin with antiseptic solutions prior to invasive procedures, but they can be absorbed into an infant's skin and may also cause chemical burns, especially in premature infants. With the use of all topical disinfectants in the NICU, the clinician must evaluate the risk versus benefit with each procedure because effective skin antisepsis before central line insertions is paramount in the prevention of central line-related bloodstream infections, or what is often called CLABSIs. Chlorhexidine is known to be superior for skin disinfecting in children and adults, but there's limited safety data for it with infants. Therefore, the CDC guidelines have said that there is insufficient evidence to make proper recommendations on the safety and efficacy of chlorhexidine in infants younger than two months of age. As a result, the use of chlorhexidine in the extremely low birth weight infant is controversial and should be used per each institution's guidelines. Where I have practiced, it was recommended not to use chlorhexidine on infants who weigh less than 1,000 grams, but again, every institution is different. Per the A1-NAN guidelines, alcohol or chlorhexidine should be used as the primary disinfectants prior to any invasive procedures. In preterm infants, sterile water should be used to remove any residual disinfectant following the procedure to avoid the risk of chemical burns. But as you also may recall, even the use of povidone iodine in preterm infants should be used cautiously due to their weak skin barrier and its ability to be absorbed leading to thyroid dysfunction. So when povidone iodine is used, only the amount necessary should be applied. Then it should be sponged off immediately with warm sterile water or saline after completion of the procedure. Even with the use of alcohol, it should be used judiciously to prevent any potential complications. With the use of chlorhexidine or iodine, it should be applied gently 
and in a non-aggressive manner. We do not want to allow the product to pool on the infant's skin, especially in the creases, to minimize the risk of chemical burns. Now I'm going to introduce here and share my personal opinion as a mother of a micropremie, not necessarily as a provider. If you listened to our last podcast episode, I shared with you that William has several permanent scars on his body. He has a significant one on his abdomen and scattered scars throughout his arms, wrists, ankles, feet, etc. from significant skin breakdown due to either monitoring or therapeutic equipment. And I cannot be 100% sure what caused each of his scars, but he was at a high risk for skin trauma. To start with, he was a 23-weeker with incredibly thin, delicate skin. He also had several pieces of equipment, either for treatment or monitoring, that he desperately needed, including umbilical lines, pick lines, pulse oximeters, endotracheal tubes, plus much more. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, with topical antiseptic solutions in neonates, the potential benefits must outweigh the risks. And that has to be evaluated each time for each baby with each procedure. For me personally, and with my medical background, I know the devastation that can occur from a central line associated bloodstream infection or a systemic infection. Therefore, as a mother, I personally would take the risk of a chemical skin burn that may result in significant breakdown over the risk of a systemic infection. Meaning, as a parent, I would rather have appropriate, proven, topical disinfectants be used on my baby, despite there being insufficient data on the safety, than for him to have a serious clapsy or systemic infection. Now, with that being said, my son actually had both. He did have a clapsy that, praise God, we caught and treated in a timely manner, so he did not suffer any significant major complications from it. And yes, his significant skin breakdown on his abdomen and up and down his arms could have also been devastating for him since they were open entries for pathogens. But I would still take the risk of a chemical burn from using skin antiseptics to properly prevent a clabsy before an invasive procedure is done, especially a central line insertion. But as I said, that is my personal opinion as a parent. As a provider, I follow the institution's guidelines where I practice and recommend that clinicians do the same. In regards to diaper care for premature infants, especially those less than 28 weeks, it is recommended to only use warm saline wipes for the first two weeks of life. Beyond two weeks of age, use warm tap or sterile water and a soft disposable cloth. Based on the article from Advances in Neonatal Care by Johnson, they also recommend to not use prepackaged diaper wipes until the corrected gestational age of 37 weeks to avoid sensitizing ingredients. And although they make extremely small diapers for extremely low birth weight infants, when my son William was born in 23 weeks, where I practiced, we did not diaper those ELBWs or extremely low birth weight infants for two weeks. So he just had a gauze in place of a diaper to prevent skin irritation and breakdown. Here are some other more specific recommendations that can be used while caring for extremely low birth weight infants in the NICU. For the skin probe, as I previously mentioned, products made with hydrogel are recommended. Additionally, the smallest size possible should be used to minimize skin damage. 
With larger probes, this can be achieved by cutting the skin probe in half or cutting out a small circle. ECG leads should be applied with as little adhesive as necessary and only with the manufacturer's adhesive. Please do not apply or re-secure ECG leads or temp probes with tape. If the probe or lead is no longer sticking, then it is time to apply new ones. Consider using limb leads on extremely low birth weight infants and water-activated or hydrogel electrodes when possible. With devices like the pulse oximeter, care should be given when applying it to prevent pressure sores. It is also very important to rotate the probe at a minimum of every eight hours. When I was a NICU nurse, I made it a practice to rotate it with every assessment, so at least every three to six hours. Even if preductal saturations are necessary, just rotate the probe between the right wrist and hand, ensuring that the point where the probe meets the skin is different. Again, I can tell you that personally, William has a very definitive scar on his wrist that is no doubt from a pulse oximeter probe. Again, it is just a scar and in the grand scheme of things very minimal, but we are lucky that he did not develop a pressure ulcer or significant breakdown there. Blood pressure cuffs should also be removed after each use, even if serial blood pressures are being monitored to prevent breakdown or skin tears. Avoid the use of any solutions that are likely to dry out the infant's skin, including soaps and alcohol. At any point that an adhesive needs to be removed, cotton balls soaked in sterile water should be used gently to remove the adhesive tape, probe covers, and electrodes. Additionally, as I mentioned in our last episode, the sensory nerve endings are well-developed, even in extremely premature infants. By 20 weeks, a fetus can respond behaviorally, physiologically, and hormonally to touch and pain. The sensory nerve endings are well-developed in the newborn regardless of maturity, meaning they can feel positive nurturing touch as well as painful touch and procedures. Despite the sensory system being well-developed, the neurological system is still developing, so the neurosensors on the skin are very sensitive. Simple, light touching can be irritating and overstimulating to the infant. We must keep this in mind as we are caring for infants in the NICU. Interventions and treatments may cause pain and stress to infants negatively, altering their neurodevelopment. It is recommended to care for infants based on their cues and to couple cares together while closely monitoring the infant for stress cues. Some other general clinical guidelines to be reminded of include the importance of meticulous hand washing prior to touching the neonate. Also, we cannot close out this episode without briefly touching on the importance of skin-to-skin care. Kangaroo care should be practiced with all clinically stable term and preterm infants. If you need a reminder of all of the benefits, I urge you to go back and listen to episode 14, Kangaroo Care in the NICU, How Does It Benefit the Infant and the Parent? But for the purposes of this episode, I'll just mention that it gives the infant positive touch and sensory stimulation. It also helps to reduce pain, improves bonding, and decreases stress in the infant. For parents, it improves mood, promotes attachment, and leads to more successful and longer durations of nursing. 
Remember, whether the baby is in the NICU or the well baby nursery, it is up to the professionals to educate the parents about the recommended practices for bathing, cord care, diaper care, and more. So to close out this episode, I'll briefly review some basic skin care practices applicable to infants. As a reminder, your baby only needs to be bathed two to three times per week. If you choose to use skin products, only pick those with little to no additives that are free of perfumes with minimal fragrance. By using minimal products, it reduces the risk of contact sensitization of the skin by added chemicals. Remember, baby soft skin is a natural occurrence and additional products are not needed. Please do not use powders on your infant due to the risk of lung inhalation. For your late preterm and term infants, change their soil diapers frequently and try to use diapers that wick away moisture. If the infant's skin becomes reddened or irritated, try changing diaper brands. Treat diaper rashes by using protective skin barriers like zinc oxide with each diaper change to prevent further injury. Also, clean waste on the skin barrier, but do not clean off the skin barrier because this may disrupt healing or cause more breakdown. If you see that the diaper rash had red bumps or is extremely red or inflamed or you're concerned once your baby is home, contact your infant's pediatrician. The umbilical cord will naturally dry out and fall off around 10 to 14 days of life. To prevent rubbing or irritation, as we said, roll the diaper down and away from the cord until it falls off. If there is excessive bleeding, drainage, or foul odor, call your baby's provider. I hope you found this episode helpful. As I touched briefly on throughout this episode, Infants in general, but especially premature infants, are much more prone to skin trauma due to the variations in the anatomy and structure of their skin. For a more thorough review of what those specific variations are, I again strongly urge you to go back and listen to our last episode, Why Are Term and Preterm Infants at an Increased Risk for Skin Injury? You can listen by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 34. Bearing this information in mind, it helps to guide clinical decisions when caring for infants in the NICU, especially those born prematurely. Evidence-based practice improves patient safety and ultimately patient outcomes. It helps to guide clinical decision-making in healthcare. So it's important that we continue to take the information we know to be true, like anatomy and physiology, and combine it with what we have learned so far through research, as well as what we will continue to study and learn in the future. So although there are still many practices that need future research, like the use of chlorhexidine in infants less than two months of age, there are also evidence-based clinical guidelines for optimal skin care of infants in the NICU. For clinicians, as I mentioned, due to some variations between institutions, please check with your particular hospital regarding your protocols or guidelines. And for parents, please do not be afraid to ask questions to your child's providers or clinicians about humidity or what products are being used on your infant and if your baby is stable enough to do skin-to-skin care each day. Although we may downplay our skin and the importance of its role, It is very essential for the health of our babies, especially those we treat in the NICU.
If you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any in the future, we kindly ask that you take a screenshot as you're listening, share it on social media, and tag us. We would love to reach as many parents and NICU clinicians as possible. For show notes, links mentioned in the episode, and to grab your free Neotech product samples, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 35. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.